Hello and welcome to We're Listening, the podcast all about Frasier. I'm Will. I'm Key. And this week we are looking at Season 1, Episode 3, Dinner at 8. So Key, I want to start this week by asking you what you had for tea tonight. Because this is an episode all about meeting for dinner. It's got a culinary spin, so what did you have for dinner tonight? Oh, well, I wish... I wish I'd known this in advance and I'd have had something fancy. Oh, no. You don't want to know, oh, mate. No. Um, I had a tin of hot dog sausages and beans. A tin of hot dog sausages? Did they all come in the same can? Yeah, in the same can. Okay, same can. I've never had that before. What was it like? Oh, you never had that? You've never had that before. Okay, you, you're not going to like this, but I don't like beans. You, what? Who doesn't like beans? No, when I when I have a fry up, I I ask for no beans, but it's something but, I'm trying to, to, is to everything get not, into. Surely everything's just really dry for you. But yeah, but but then if you've got a good yolk in the egg, you've got a bit of fluid there because I worry the beans. It's just going to soak everything. Yeah, but well, well, okay. So you don't get a good yolk, right? It's a dry yolk. It's firm. What okay. what are you doing with the rest of your food? Well, sometimes, you know, if you're having like a Weatherspoons, you get a, a good few chunks of butter. I'm going to make those babies stretch. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm do what I can. So you're just getting there, you're loading them on butter and just rubbing it all over your sausage. <laughs> That is essentially what I'm doing. So yeah, I don't have, I don't like beans. You've had beans and hot dogs from the same can tonight. Um, uh-huh. That actually, ironically, sounds like something they would serve in the timber mill where they go in this episode. Well, I feel you're judging me. I am clearly the martyr in this relationship. I am I think, all about I think the simple stuff. I think, I think as this series goes on, we're going to realise that you're the normal down, down, you know, down home blue collar guy. Clearly, and I'm the guy who turns his nose up at beans in sausages in the same tin. If I can I mean, find some before next week i'll try them for you oh well i'll tell you what you want the best ones right the best ones newgate sausage and beans from lidl 40p a tin that is insane. amazing that's such a good I, I lived off that when i was in uni wow i mean like, they have great sardines from lidl 49p a can oh, also um i've never had sardines so you never had sardines okay oh. maybe we should leave the food talk and segue to dinner at eight. As you've actually seen on Twitter, I leaked my little notes that I type of this episode because I was kind of self-deprecating in the, the first bullet point on this, on my Word document says, ask Key what he had for dinner last night. And then in bullet point underneath, Rufus Wainwright anecdote. Um, are you a fan of Rufus Wainwright, the musician? Um, I don't know who Rufus Wainwright is, Will. Okay, he's a very, very good Canadian singer-songwriter, and he did a very okay. popular cover of Hallelujah. But the reason I wrote him down is because, simply put, he has a song called Dinner at Eight, and it's really good. However, the whole song is about a. his dad is also very famous, another famous Wainwright. And they went to a restaurant, in I think in New York or somewhere, one night, and they had a huge argument in the restaurant. And then he wrote this song about it. So there's actually a lot of parallels with the Frasier episode, which I thought was quite nice. Oh, wow. Which came out first, the song or? I Yeah, I think the Frasier episode by, Frasier by episode. quite a while, actually. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so unfortunately, because a lot of the Frasier episode titles do pay reference to pop culture. And I started to think, hmm, is there something there? But no, Rufus ah. Wainwright is definitely after this episode. So this episode begins in KACL with one of my favorite opening calls from the first season when the i can't remember the name of the woman phoning in but she's hiding from the in-laws is it i want to say pam um, pam sounds yeah, good pam, um yeah. hopefully you haven't already put your question down about who is phoning <laughs> no, at the beginning stop. of the uh at the beginning of the episode but yeah this i don't know how this ranks for you but i think this is a really good like call oh i absolutely just before i get into it, i just want to say that I know in the first episode we did, one of my questions was, what line is the caller calling on? I remember not, that, yeah. It's not a question I'm doing today, but I have noted it was line four again today, yeah. and it was line four, I think, twice in the pilot. What, so, okay, so they used line four in this episode when Pam yeah. phones. 
I, I think line four is their go-to line at this stage. I think it's something we should keep an eye on. That is... Uh, the fact you've made a note of that, I just love <laughs> that weird, nerdy detail that even I have not picked up on. And it I you just... know, I pride myself on catching the... Uh, the kind of miscellaneous little bits and bobs in the episodes. That is a really a, a weird spot, but I like that. Just before we get into the content of what, what Pam and, and Fraser are talking about, which I do love, I, we, one of the things we discussed that we do before we started doing this podcast was that we try and guess the celebrity callers. We did, we did. Um, um, we have not done I it can't even remember what her voice sounds like to make See, an educated I'm guess. I want to say dreadful. someone like Patricia Arquette or someone. Now, but... the person, I think, I don't know the actress's name, but she it sounds like the voice of the woman who, she was in Deep Impact, and I think she plays the lead in Madam Secretary. She was in Deep Impact? Yeah, she was the uh, newsreader in Deep oh. Impact, which for any listeners out there is way better than Armageddon. Oh, um, it's so much better. It's so much better. It, but, won, it won that little that little tie, the little one v one they had in the 90s but yeah i think she's got quite a distinctive voice and to me mm. it sounds like her now i could be years out because i don't know how old she is i don't know whether she would have been big at the time this episode have you got the name out. of the actor actor up i'm, I'm just getting the episode up on kcl I'm 780 just now. It up now but yeah this is the first time i've listened to a celebrity caller and thought oh i might know who that is because... really i am really rubbish with them actually because i love the fact that it tells you them at the end of the season um and some of them I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember them. I think Rory, I think it's Rory Culkin, but it might be Macaulay Culkin. Um, one of the Culkin brothers phones in at one point, yes, pretending I... to be a like a, a really young sounding doctor, but it's actually just a kid like pranking Frasier. And I can always tell that's one of the Culkin brothers when that comes on. But yeah, largely, I'm pretty rubbish at guessing the celebrity I'm dread- I think last week's was Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve did. It. I was nowhere near it. Um, I'm also wrong on this one. I've just checked her history out, and it is not. She is in an episode of Frasier, but it is not yet. So, wow. Okay. So the person you thought it was actually does appear in the show. She does, but she's not a voiceover. She actually, I, I know her now. She appears in an actual episode as a physical actress. It's not just a voiceover. Wow. Okay. Don't tell me who it is then, because I can't remember. I don't want to Google it, and then you can you can tell me when we get to that point. Okay. Um, I have a question for you at this yeah. point, which I have a feeling you're probably going to get, but I'm going to I'm going to extend it to you anyway. Who is the sponsor of this particular oh. phone call slash segment? Well, can I just before I'm going to say the answer, I'm just going to read my first question. Mm-hmm. What advert was in? Was oh in the my first god! It's, uh, it's for Carpet Fresh. It is for Carpet Fresh. You put the same question down. We I did. Yeah. We're going to have to vet each other's questions in some regard. I think before I, we um, continue I to did do write, this I did write four questions. I've also so, got four. That's spooky. Oh, okay. I was going to say I've got three more backups. That's nice. Do you want to hit me with some? Hit me with another while we're here. Yeah. Um. They're not from this scene. Is that okay? Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So, whose retirement party did Martin attend? Oh my God. This. This was a bit of dialogue that I heard, and I thought I'm going to jot this down because he's definitely going to ask me this, and I didn't didn't write it down. Oh well. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to guess Roy. I mean, it's a good guess, but it's, it's not right. But it's a good guess. Um, I think it's Pete. That's what it's I wrote down. Pete. Okay. Yeah. And I Pete's love this. Is a really nice kind of side plot that doesn't really materialise because it, it is the impetus for Martin buying perhaps one of the most iconic fashion items 
in the entire series. Oh, and that genuine is, shark is, of course, genuine shark skin suit, which has been balled up in a mayonnaise jar in the display <laughs> window. I started to think about this, and unless the mayonnaise jar is like a, some kind of two to three litre vat, would you be able to get a suit blazer into a mayonnaise jar? I mean, it's got like a whole TARDIS from Doctor Who thing going on, isn't it? For a suit jacket to fit in there. Yeah, I don't think it, I, we're really asking the big questions here. People listening to this podcast were asking if you can fit a suit blazer into a mayonnaise jar. But, you know, we have to ask these questions because it's a good gag from the writers. Maybe they thought, maybe it's possible. Who knows? I mean, um, I'm going to try it. Yeah, I can tell you that much. I would try it, but I mean, I only have one suit blazer and I think it would be ruined if I tried to put it in a mayonnaise jar. Plus the mayonnaise jar we use is tiny. Um, <laughs> there's de- it's definitely not going in there. And my suit is not shark skin, it's yours. No, it's not. I do want to get one. Can you actually buy a, a shark skin suit? I imagine you probably can. And I imagine it's very illegal, but I have absolutely no evidence of that. Perhaps they're perfectly valid. <laughs> the, formal wear. I love the idea we're going to. People are going to be calling and complaining that we've just had a <laughs> yeah, Scott Sharks we're making completely, uh, completely erroneous claims. Yeah. Um, so I love the Daphne's kind of fluffing uh, Fraser's knickers. I love the kind of interaction Fraser has at this point when they're when they're back at the house and he's kind of rubbing them on his face. And then you have the great, I don't know if you call this a visual gag, it's kind of a visual slash kind of audio gag as well, with the phone call from Niles. Uh, Brilliant. Kind of saying, yeah, I'll be over in a minute. And then Fraser walks to the door. And even as soon as he hangs up and he crosses the room, you know Niles is going to be there. Yeah. I think, is he actually walking towards the door while he's still on the phone? That's okay. I, I think he's probably, I think he's probably just got off the elevator or he's yeah. on the elevator. I think that's how we're meant to read it. But I love the fact that this is episode three. We barely know Niles, and yet this just seems exactly like something he would do and something we can predict as well, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it's so Niles, and it's something that stays with Niles. It's not like one of those jokes that you look back on and think, oh, that's not really the Niles yeah. we know. That, it's, Niles could do this in season five, and it would still be funny. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I, I have a feeling he does kind of similar similar yeah. things at some point. And, he, and it links back to the first scene as well. I mean, Niles references it, you know. Oh, well, I heard your show. Oh, I wouldn't dream about popping a by unannounced. Yeah, yeah, I like that actually. They don't do that too much because one of the recurring recurrent gags is that no one listens to Fraser's show. Um, like Daphne always has that line where she says, "Oh, say you enjoyed the, the call from Tacoma." There's always someone from Tacoma yeah. calling. But um, I mean, this so I like scene, the fact actually, that Niles really did listen. This scene seems to play up to the fact that people do listen. I mean, Niles, um, his housekeeper, listens. She's a big fan of the show. Yeah, um, she and I is. think Niles makes a pop as well that housewives generally like Frasier. Yeah, yeah, he does this all the time. Um, he's kind of put down to this show, like when he refers to it as McSessions and kind yeah. of drive-through answer to psychiatry and. They're all absolutely brilliant. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of that, that recurring gag about housewives listening to him. And I know in later episodes, people talk about their secretaries listen to the show and they hear it when they're passing through their office and stuff. It's, it's, it's weird because Frasier is obviously such a celebrity in the, in the show's world. And yet the people that seem to listen are, you know, treated as kind of inconsequential. And his show is almost forgettable to, to people like Niles, but... You know, his, his face is on the side of buses. He ends up having a, a whole day dedicated to him. Yeah, it, um, it's like he appeals to the lowest common denominator in a way yeah. in the show, which is strange because it's an intellectual radio show, really. It is, yeah. One thing I actually is interesting, do you wish there was more KACL in the show or do you think the balance is struck well? I could have a bit more KACL. Mm. You know, I really love those. I mean, maybe I love them because they're so brief, but like the first scene with Pam and she's belly crawling across the floor um, <laughs> because the in-laws have come round. 
I just I love it. There's so many good jokes. There in is. This, it's such a good little bit, and they, they they kind of let her run with that a little bit longer than they normally do for calls. A lot of the yeah. calls are kind of cut short, um, but they kind of stick with Pam and and Frazier yeah, buys the, into it as well. He's yeah, whispering yeah. back at her. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that he kind of segues into the into the sponsor from it and kind of bounces off that as well. Yeah. Um, and he's so he's pleased really nice. with himself for doing it. He is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you kind of get the first sense of Frazier's kind of really loving the job and kind of yeah, yeah but not not just loving the job but the kind of the wit that he has which is so kind of ingrained in his character a question i have here about frazier what color are frazier's underwear that niles rubs against his cheek oh not the pair that frazier rubs against his own cheek i don't think i'm 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 gonna take a swing and say like a red you are absolutely correct is it actually red? Yeah, it is. He oh. picks up a pair of blue uh, underwear, undergarments, and Niles picks up the red pair. Um, is... a, a nice kind of, even a stupid gag like that, there's a nice symmetry in the fact that they both think to do that because, you know, they're just, they're so kind of similar and yeah. in tune. Is twice fl- through the fluff cycle a real thing? Put through the fluff cycle. Yeah, there is a, th- <laughs> there is a fluff cycle. I think that's uh, probably an American term for what we might call i mean i have no idea we might call it a a 30 degree wash oh, okay. or, but yeah i'm fairly certain the fluff cycle is a thing but in terms um, of the oh, washing machines these days come with about 10 presets yeah so, exactly um, i only yeah. know one i know the one that it needs to be on and i know because <laughs> i'm scared <laughs> of washing it, machines is not encyclopedic <laughs> no but yeah in terms of obviously we've just had the scene obviously the joke about the volvo if you're mm-hmm. close enough to read this i'll kill you I've, i mean you're a driver will have you ever had a moment where Bit of road rage. Where I have, have I ever had road rage? I am ashamed to admit that I go through road rage pretty much every time I get behind the wheel of a car. Really? I was gonna. Um, I really thought I was really. gonna ask this question, and you'd say, "No, no, I'm I'm very calm." Never, oh no, I've got never... a very short fuse. I'm not a very patient man. <laughs> I I mean, I've been driving tonight. Obviously, I drove back from uh, from playing football, and uh, I had people kind of cutting me off and and pulling out on me, and I kind of kept it pretty cool tonight. I was I was in a pretty good mood, but if I'm in a bad mood or I'm in a hurry, yeah, I'm I'm kind of effing and jeffing if someone is worthy of getting the horn blared at them i will blare the horn <laughs> um gives me a great satisfaction actually blaring the horn if you've never done that behind the wheel of a car it's a great cathartic act is it it is yeah oh, i think that's, well. if you yeah if you do you drive uh, i can drive but i don't drive you don't drive if you ever do promise me that you will blow, blow, <laughs> the, horn blow the horn at someone <laughs> okay so in this scene we have a great one of my favourite lines from the early seasons, which I completely forgot was in this episode, when Fraser and Niles are talking in the kitchen, and Fraser says, "Remember when you used to think that the 1812 overture was a great piece of classical music?" This line always bugs me because I am someone who used to think that was a great piece of music, and if you played it to me now, I probably still would. Are you familiar with which one the 1812 overture is? Um, I am, but I just want to point out my, my second question was, what was I a great knew... piece of classical music? Oh, I knew that was going to be your question. As soon oh. as I said it, I was like, yeah, we're going to have to vet next time. Next week, <laughs> we will vet the questions um, so that we don't don't tread all over each other's good but question no, making. It's a fantastic oh. line. And it is this just it just shows how snobby they were, even as I imagine that Niles was born in a suit. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. He, he would not have come out naked. He'd have come out in an Armani tux. I, wait, I just don't get this because 1812 Overture, you know, it's been used in a lot of cinema, famously in V for Vendetta at the end. Um, if you've seen that, it's a pretty, you know, it's a decent film. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, it's it's a very epic piece of music because obviously it's all about, the you know, the war of the war of 1812 and, I mean, you know, Napoleon, etc. Um, too epic. Maybe, you know, yeah, it, to tone it down a bit. 
I think maybe that's what it is. It's so famous that maybe yeah. that's the idea that they're they're being edgy about classical music, which I think is hilarious. But, <laughs> There's not many people um, trying to be edgy about classical yeah. music. 1812 Overture is funny because I think when it's actually staged properly by an orchestra, it's meant to have cannons firing at one point yeah. as part of the percussion, which I think is is just nuts. I think it uh, works. Probably something really cool to see live. I think it works so well as well because for so many people, that's probably one of the only pieces of classical music they could think of. Oh yeah, I mean, and, yeah, I mean, I don't like to to generalize about people's um, classical music taste, but I, I don't <laughs> think classical music really gets the look in as much with kind of our generation. Yeah, um, and, I, yeah. and I bet people as well really think that they're being very intellectual when they go, yeah, I know what the 1812 Overture is. I think so. I think, yeah, um, it's kind of, I think that's what it is. It's a bit like, um, you know, if you only play, if you say you're into board games or something and you only play Cards Against Humanity or something, it's like you only know the one, the kind of, the catch-all, the go-to that everyone else knows. Okay, I've got my 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 last question is kind of lined up for this point. It's also discussed at some point in this scene. Okay, what kind of gun was Martin shot in the hip with? Oh, oh! Have you made a note of this? I've made a note, but I can hear it in my head. Um, oh, the gunshot. <laughs> yeah, I can hear him go. Oh, I didn't need to get shot with a yeah you, something you know thirty-eight. So no. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So it's, it's a point. It's a thirty-eight. Um, oh, is that it? So thought... a thirty-eight caliber, which is normally, I think, just a kind of standard revolver. I mean, I'm not particularly oh. I'm not a gunman. There's so many great lines in this episode, and that's one of them. Yeah, it's, it's a just... great line. And the way he comes out with it, it's brilliant. Given that you've just given me your last one, I will give you my last question. Um, it's not from this scene. It's from the end. Um, what make was Niles's tie? Uh, oh, I've got. I know this one. Uh, it's Hugo Boss. It's, it's a Hugo Boss tie. It's a Hugo Boss tie. And the reason I just had my wires crossed when you asked that, because I've recently started watching Gilmore Girls. I don't know if you've ever watched Gilmore Girls. Oh, God. I've seen like the first three or four episodes. No way. Okay. Well, I've recently started watching that because a lot of people recommended it to me. And I used to watch kind of bits and bobs way back when. It's a yeah, very feel good show with a lot of heart to it. Yeah. I, um, I, it's got I a lot feel, of literary. I feel like I can remember you telling me that you watched Gilmore Girls in the past. Because I think I turned around to you because I think I misheard you until you went. Oh, you like Gossip Girl? And you know, <laughs> yeah, very, very different shows. But Gilmore Girls, it's got a lot of literary influences. The dialogue's really sharp, but it, it has so much in common with Frasier for me. Yeah. Kind of just good, good, strong character writing. It's got a lot of heart, a lot of warmth to it. It's just really good comfort viewing. But anyway, I've been recently watching that and kind of getting into that. And in the episode I watched earlier, someone has a kind of heart attack and they have to remove their tie. And then there's, there's quite a nice emotional scene where they talk about the tie and it's a completely different brand to Hugo Boss, but it's a famous expensive toy brand. So when you asked that question, I started thinking of that episode. I was like, Jesus, am I going to remember? But yeah, <laughs> it's Hugo Boss. I'd love to know how much a Hugo Boss tie costs. Do I take a guess and I'm going to Google? It's going to be really expensive because I once, just before I started a job, I remember just wandering around looking at ties and things and went to a Hugo Boss section and it was ridiculously expensive. And I actually knew one of the people who were working there and they came over to me and went, can I help you anything? I was like, no. No, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm um, good. I'm good. I'm going to keep my wallet where it's safe in my pocket. Exactly. Well, I mean, there's, I could have thrown my wallet at him and it wouldn't have paid for it. Um, I've just I've just looked online. They've got a sale on at the moment. I'm going to say it's Some, at least... The most expensive toy I can find was, 60, was £69 down to 35 So where did you what? see them? They were 100 and something. I, th- I think it was at like Selfridges in, in Birmingham. Well, that explains a lot. That's a pretty expensive shop. Um, Maybe, yeah. But I don't understand why there was such a discrepancy there. These, you know, twenty-five pound is a lot of money, even on sale. Twenty-five quid is 
a fair whack for a toy. In my in my view, someone who doesn't really yeah, buy toys, I, mean, I wouldn't pay more than eight pounds for a toy. No, I mean as long and as it fits boring. well and it's a decent colour, I think you're all good. I've got written down here that Roz is making her famous sweet and sour shrimp in the anecdote where she uh, she's with with like a you know a potential love interest and he uh, he flees when she suggests about opening a mayonnaise jar. I think it is. Yeah, because oh, was it a honey jar? I think that makes sense. Yeah, honey jar. Yeah, think... Roz actually seems Sorry, quite Graham. homely a little bit in this episode. I think. Yeah, I think so. She doesn't. She's... Oh, one thing I noticed as well is the way she speaks. Like when she introduces the caller on the show, it's not as pronounced and like sultry as it is in the first episode where she's like, "Yes, we do, Doctor Crane." Like she's she's speaking more naturally in this episode. I think. Do you think that's something that goes away and comes back again? Because I have a very strong recollection of guys calling into the radio show to speak to Ross. Yeah, I think there's an episode where that's kind of a gag, actually. That yeah, the, loads of dudes got are horny sexy for Ross. voice and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she does have a sexy voice. I think I think Perry Gilpin's very attractive. I think if I was listening to the, you know, what is the Fraser Crane show? I just forgot what the name of his radio <laughs> show is. If I was listening to that on the drive into Seattle, you know, I think I think I'd probably get infatuated with her a little bit. I think that's I fair. Mean, um, Do you think that her sweet and sour shrimp is a euphemism? Yes. Yeah, because when I mean, she says I'm making my famous sweet and sour, I mean, we know she has almost no culinary skills. But yeah, I think, you know, Ross is kind of intimating here that she was about to, you know, get down and dirty with this guy. And he, uh, <laughs> he got out of there. Who knows what the jar of honey refers to? If we're just taking that euphemism line a bit further. Oh, yeah, it's probably not so Oh, okay. Five minutes to nine. Okay. We can, <laughs> we we're can talk about it. The watershed as we're filming <laughs> this. But uh, we also have another psychic episode with Daphne and Niles, which we haven't even spoken about their meeting yet. So I think we should probably do that. Yeah, now. I was just about to um, say it's the highlight of probably step back in chronology a little bit and yeah carry on it's a highlight it's an absolute highlight isn't it? it's just it's become such a famous scene and such a classic moment you're Daphne why yes I am well, when Fraser told me he'd hired an English woman I pictured someone a little more not quite so you're Daphne it's yeah. perfectly done you can look it back is. on this in 10 years and you can still just it's think just how what, fantastic it is. What interests me um, is, is just a throwaway line from Niles here, but I kind of made a little note about it. It's that he mentions he studied in Cambridge. Um, and the, the joke is that no one has mentioned that to Daphne because why on earth would they have? But I, I'm fairly certain that's never mentioned again. And there's no, constant I... rivalry between the two. And we know that Frasier kind of studied in Oxford at some point, I think. There's a few inconsistencies about where they, they get their education. Because in the episode The Perfect Guy, Clint Webber, the really handsome, great doctor that joins KACL, obviously Frasier's really jealous of, he says at one point, oh, I studied at Oxford. And then Frasier's like, oh, even better than me, who went to Harvard. Even though I'm fairly certain Frasier studied at Oxford at some point. So I think Noel studying in Cambridge is really significant. And this is never mentioned again as, as yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I, remember. I do not remember at all. No. Any references to Niall studying in England at all, whether Cambridge or Oxford? Yeah. I mean, we, obviously, we have this bit where he says, I'm an Anglophile, but do you think, that as the show goes on, there are. No, can you remember not... any other references to his Anglophilia? I don't know. I, not at all. I can't no. remember any other references at all to. There's very few references to England generally. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, considering they have a, a, a British and English. Um, you know, woman staying with them. They they don't other than taking the Mickey out of the food. 
yeah. there's not a lot of reference and when you have like you meet her family and things like that but beyond that there's not many British references, to be honest. I think he's just set up that he can pick up her accent. I think uh, so, yeah. That's, he's, he's that's the a really person, good point, actually. The only person who can tell that she is from Manchester, including people from Manchester. I'm trying to think, the only episode I can think of where there's a really heavy British focus is, um, I think it's called Where Everybody Knows Your Name. No, is it, oh, possibly is it the that. one where she finds a pub she really likes? The Fox and Whistle, yeah, that one. Yeah. It's called Where Every Bloke Knows Your Name, I think. Um, and obviously, yeah. yeah, that's a really British heavy episode. And I started to question whether do they have these in American cities, like really kind of well recreated or well rendered British pub style things called the Fox and Whistle or the Hare and Hound. You know, is that is that the done thing in American cities? I don't think it would take off in America in the same. I know we sometimes mimic American culture. We have 50s bars and things like that. Oh, but... yeah, absolutely. I wish we had more of those, actually. Like, I, I'm kind of a big Americana nerd, I guess. And I love kind of small town America. Um, obviously, that's what my PhD research is on. And I think, you know, like watching a show like Gilmore Girls, it's quintessential small town America, but a very specific kind of nostalgic one. But one of the things that I love is like that, that, that diner feel of a small town where you can kind of go in. There's a chrome top where you can just order coffee and eggs and it's really kind of simple, good, homely food. We just have like Ed's Easy Diner where it's just yeah, that's, ridiculous. That's the close, closest we've got, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a pastiche of it. It's not a real authentic thing. No, and you've, you've got a ridiculous amount of money for about four chips in a bowl. Yeah, That's... it's just, it, it kind of, it stands against everything diners are good for, I think. So yeah, we have, we have Niles' Anglophilia. We have him meeting Daphne for the first time. They're just the delivery of the line, you know, you're Daphne. You're Daphne. Oh, um, it's, it's just perfect, wonderful. It? It's absolutely perfect. Yeah, and like, and I just, think I think Niles's kind of infatuation with her is is kind of natural. But in this particular scene, you know, she doesn't look that becoming. She's kind of like got her cleaning clothes on, and you know. So I love the fact that Niles is already, you know, he already fancies her, and it sets the scene as well. I mean, Niles is infatuated with her from the very second he sees her, and yeah. from the very second he is, she's oblivious to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we immediately know, oh, that's how this relationship's going to go. She's yeah. not going to get it. She's not going to see the signals. Um, I've just realised, Key, I had written down whose um, retirement party it was. Was it Pete's? It's Phil. Phil? Oh, God. We... Yeah, he says cream chicken at Phil's retirement dinner. So we really need to up our game with the question <laughs> answering because we've absolutely embarrassed ourselves. Thank God we don't how, have How we've made yet. mistakes in, in making them. I write the questions down as soon as the, I hear the line and I've still balls it up. So oh, um, We both have, don't worry. <laughs> I like the bit where Martin really kind of hams up the injury for sympathy when... Uh, they, they can't go to the restaurant and he kind of really leans on the cane and he's like, oh, I'm sure Daphne's got something in the in the fridge. I just love that physical acting from John Mahoney at that point. It's it's beautiful, isn't it? And it, it does, it, I think it plays in as well a bit to the fact that we do see Martin so flexible with how dependent he is on that cane. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah he's, he's, he, he, sometimes he really needs it. Sometimes he's fine. Um, it, it's just, I cannot imagine him without it. I think I said in one of the other episodes, I cannot imagine what it must have been like for John Mahoney using that cane because to go out of character having used it for you know on and off every day for 11 years it must be so weird for him to, yes. to kind of walk around without one well must be like must have missing been something it's like a limb it's kind of yeah the way it's an extension of him of course um, though well there's um this scene we get the obviously the famous Daphne and, and Niles finally meet but in this mm-hmm. episode we are introduced to someone else or something else 
character is beautiful and a quintessential part of the show. Le Cigar Volant! Le Cigar Volant, one of the kind of running gags of the of the folklore, I want to say. I, I love the fact that it, it means the flying cigar in French. It's absolutely nonsensical. I remember seeing a YouTube video where someone had made a song about Le Cigar Volant using Frasier clips, and that, that kind of forms the chorus when Le they cigar shout, Volant. Le Cigar Volant! <laughs> I mean, it's like two little kids getting excited about like, going to a fast food restaurant. Yeah, they exactly. It's like me when I used to go to McDonald's when I was really yeah. young. Um, it was like Christmas for me. I would love to go to a restaurant like Le Cigar Volant and see what the kind of pricing is because I'm just, they go there so often, we know they make a crap load of money. I mean, what do you reckon the pricing of this joint's like? As someone who's never been to a fancy restaurant, I don't think I'd even get close. I... Have you not ever been to a fancy restaurant? No, no, not really. I I was once scheduled to go to like a fancy restaurant, but it never happened, which I was quite happy about because I don't think with my simple taste, as we've already established in this episode, we have established that. I don't think there's a lot to cater for me at like a Michelin star restaurant. Ah, that's fair enough. You're a, you're a simple man with simple tastes. I, I like know that. what I am. I am the lowest common denominator. <laughs> no, I think I think I think the cigar volume would probably be uh, even upmarket for people of kind of upper middle to upper class um, or upper middle as kind of Fraser and Isles are. But yeah, we have the introdu- introduction of uh, the Cigar Volant, but then that's quickly undercut when Fraser's booking of the of the reservation is undermined. Um, they lose the booking reservation and they instead go to the Timber Mill. I love as well is Sorry. when they find out that they're not getting it. Niles' little rant down the phone. I love that. And the fact that he's so unthreatening generally, that he is so pleased that they've uh, that no one's on the other end of that line. Oh, he doesn't even realise. Yeah, oh, and then he just goes, thank God. And <laughs> the way he puts his phone away. It's fantastic. But yeah, so they, they have that bombshell dropped on them. So they go to the timber mill, which actually looks like a lot of restaurants I've eaten in. I think it's pretty, it's got a, again, got a bit of an Americana vibe. It used to be an old sawmill, I think. Until someone pointed out the obvious and said, let's open a restaurant here. Quote from Fraser there. I think it's um, such a really nice place. You know, you get to pick and the service is great. You get to pick, you claim your steak and you, you get, get it all to the steak off, off the beef trolley. Can I see the other side of that one, please? <laughs> Can I, how much would I have to pay to get one that's been in the fridge? Yeah, you, course, you have the, the dress code, the ties being clipped off. They like to keep the place casual. You reckon in real life you'd get away with chopping off someone's tie? Absolutely not. And that's, that's one thing that really bothers me. Like a Hugo Boss tie just getting chopped like that. It's just it's it's a bit of whimsy for the for the for the restaurant. But if I was Niles, I'd be extremely pissed. Off. <laughs> I feel like Niles would start suing for that. Yeah, I think his response is very restrained here, and I think if it was a maybe a different episode, he uh, he might take a bit more umbrage with the fact someone's just clipped off a, a hundred dollar tie. But um, well, I love get... Ma- Martin saying there's nothing like the smell of charbroiled meat. And uh, <laughs> Nile saying that it reminds him of Maris in her home tanning bed. <laughs> I mean, there's a few more um, references to Maris in this episode, isn't there? I mean, Niles um, refers. To, obviously, Maris is originally meant to go with them to dinner, of course, and drops out because she. Well, I think did she sit down and sigh? She sat on the edge of her bed in her half slip and sighed. And I knew that dinner was not to episodes. be. <laughs> the way he says, "I knew then, but dinner was not to be," is such a fantastic David Hyde Pierce delivery. It, so and, good. And she just get this this picture of this 
not of just of Maris, but of her relationship with Niles. And yeah. he kissed her the other day for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> such a great, yeah, such a throwaway line like that really colours the, the world building that they've got going on with a character like Maris. That's really, yeah, really neat. And then we have another kind of nice aspect to Niles' character, um, Sarge's relationship with, with Maris. And this is another re- recurrent gag in, uh, in Frasier, which is, of course, how picky he is with his food and his steak order, which I think is legendary. Uh, I'd like a a petite filet mignon, very lean. Not so lean that it lacks flavor, but not so fat that it leaves drippings on the plate. And I don't want it cooked just lightly seared on either side, pink in the middle. Not a true pink, but not a mauve either. Something in between. (laughs) Bearing in mind the slightest error either way, and it's ruined. Do you ever have steak? Yes, I do. Do you have a preference for how it's cooked? I have it medium to well done. You have steak well done? Medium to well done. Okay, okay, okay. What are oh, we you're not. Do with are you? you like rare? I don't like rare, but I mean, well done. You oh. are just effectively taking a dump on the steak. <laughs> I, I'm honestly right. Not long after me and my girlfriend had started dating, I'm calling her my girlfriend. I, I feel I should use a name, but it's, listeners wait, don't you, I know. Think, I, I'm fairly certain we she's we mentioned her in the last episode. Oh, Shan. okay. We, I made so, a joke about her being the producer. <laughs> so Shannon, for for listeners. <laughs> There's a moment, like, not long after we started dating, I took her out to dinner. And okay. I ordered steak, and I got a little little thing, like, you know, stuck in it saying so that they knew how it was to be cooked. And it came out, right. and I had this thing stuck in it saying, well done. And I thought, I genuinely thought they were complimenting me on having oh, gone and ordered goodness, a steak. Mate. It came I back, it was well... I cannot believe that story. It came back, well done, and I thought, oh, well done, mate. You thought you were being complimented on ruining a perfectly good <laughs> cut of beef. You're a, you're, a, you're a brave man, Key, to go to a restaurant and order a steak well done. If you did that in a fancy restaurant, like we have established you have not been to, um, <laughs> I dread to think what you get. I've heard kind of rumours that if you order well done steak in a really high-end restaurant, you do not get like fillet of steak. You will be getting some kind of horrible cut that they just want to get rid of because you can't tell the difference. I mean, um, it's medium to well done. I don't want it like burn. But yeah, well done is it's just as good ass, mate. It's it's just <laughs> it's casual phrasing for burn the steak for me. So yeah, they order their steak. One of this is I don't know if this line kind of follows the the delivery the order of the steaks, but I have got it down as my favourite line from the episode. And have you made a, a note of what your favourite is this week, or have you oh, not done that? I had so many. I think I had about three or four, and I couldn't okay. decide on. Oh well, no, I do have a favourite. I do. Have okay, a favorite. I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal mine because it's at this moment when they're in the timber mill and they're talking about the the decor and. They talk about Marius hosting one of her kind of society events there and uh, if this place would be available. And then... I'd like to be a fly on the wall that night. You wouldn't be the only one. <laughs> and I just think I just think that's a fantastic line. It's, um, it's really quick. It's really witty. I love the interplay between the two. They kind of set the joke up and the other one bats it back. It's just, yeah, it's top notch. There's, there's so, so many great lines in a scene my favorite line is also from this scene a bit further on but Hit i just me. i love martin's little pieces as well because I, I just i'm a i'm a sucker for when someone is telling a story and their tone changes immediately because i know mm. a lot of people who will tell a joke and then suddenly they'll finish with yeah it's a shame he died after that yeah um and the, <laughs> the tone changes and you're mid smile and you don't know what to do yeah yeah, and yeah i yeah. love they, kind of, yeah, they, they set you up for one thing and then completely throw you off yeah, and Martin does the opposite here. He's talking about all his friends who have died and then goes, 
But his nurse was lovely, um, Betty, I think. <laughs> and I love the fact that he's piling butter onto his roller while he's saying this. Oh, um, so much butter that it's disgusting as well. I can't imagine if that is actually butter and he's like kind of method acting, if we can call it that in this scene. And he's he genuinely eats that because he does put it in his mouth, but you I never mean, know what you, they made it today. You have said on air tonight, Will, that you butter your sausage a lot. So I, I have said that I will use the butter if my breakfast is dry. Um, I've not said specifically <laughs> that I will butter the sausage, which sounds horrible. <laughs> but yeah, he, he really piles the butter on and we know that he kind of has very, very late on in the series um, a cardiac episode or however it's kind of euphemistically referred to. And I think maybe this is preempting that. His arteries are filled with timber mill butter. I mean, we've made it, they've made it right clear from the start we had um eggs in a nest i think last episode where fraser refers to it as a walking heart attack or something he does and he talks about his kind of ventricles slapping shut as he speaks yeah Um, i mean martin doesn't care yeah he does yeah martin just all he does is he wants to eat bacon and pork rinds we have a reference to pork rinds actually i remember earlier in this episode and he offers some to niles just before fraser and niles tell him they've booked a a reservation at the cigar volant he just he's a simple man he enjoys the simple foods and he loves a good salad bar as well when there's a lull at the salad bar martin flies off he does fly off does he take his cane with him i can't remember if he does or not I think he must have. Yeah, I can't imagine him forgetting it. But that's the kind of moment where maybe for a gag, they they might, you know, he's that desperate to get to the salad bar. He gets up and leaves without it. And, you know, maybe we hear the sound of him falling over or something. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe the gag they could have done. But yeah. So they've just um, gone to the salad bar and they're about to get their steaks because that's how good the service is. Yeah, you say that's how good the service is, but... Would you genuinely want to eat in a restaurant where they are that fast? I have eaten in a restaurant where it's been that fast. I just that to me is horrifying because they're barely touching their courses. And then like Fraser's like, oh, but we've barely touched our salad. Mark's like, yeah, great service. And just the food they get, they have that 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 jacket potato, I think it is, with a pile of mash on top of the jacket potato. Got kind of studded with bacon bits. Oh, um, oh they're, they're made of this, soy. So yeah, made of you. soy. So it's this bizarre-looking kind of savoury bomb of food. Look, at one um, stage, uh, does, um, does Niles just put it on his lap? I think at one point he's got it there. And he's scraping bits off underneath the table. Oh, is that what um, I genuinely just thought he just placed it on his lap and just, yeah, done. Uh, yeah, I... I think it's, yeah, I don't actually quite know what he's doing at this point because it's all under the table. But I mean, it's a great interplay with him and Fraser kind of looking at each other. But before they kind of have that moment, obviously the big climax of this scene is Martin kind of rightfully scolding the two of them for one being really, they're being massive asses to the to the, the waitresses that are, that are helping. You know, they're on minimum wage. They probably don't want to be working the timber mill on a Friday night. They, they tell you what, they love Martin though, those waitresses. But yeah, and I love the fact they, they love Martin because they can tell that he's one of them. He's a normal working class, blue collar guy. And they can tell immediately. I mean, they've cut the ties off them. And they, she says, I see we've got some newcomers here, which explains how it works. She says every course comes with a soup or a visit to the salad bar. I cannot possibly imagine having a co- three courses with soup with every course. Who is that hungry or likes that soup that much? I mean, who's getting to dessert and thinks, you know what, this go great with? <laughs> a bit of soup. Bit of soup. It's 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 just nuts. I don't know if there's a restaurant that kind of works on that. If if that's a common thing in American restaurants where you have kind of extras to go with every course. Um, the 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 closest thing we have here in the UK is obviously Harvester with the salad bars yeah. there. But yeah, I mean, do we get fixins in this country? I don't think I've ever had fixins. 
No, we, we kind of, we have different terms for it. I've heard the works over here a little bit more. Okay, um, yeah. Which I think is also a kind of an Americanization, American term. But yeah, the fixings or fixins, I think they're referred to as fixins in another episode, I think. That's kind of like, you know, the just contracted slang. The fixing is presumably everything and the bacon bits, all other kind of miscellaneous food items on that plate of food they're eating, which they struggle through at the end. Oh, of the they do struggle. They do struggle because so, they, they, they want to make a point. Martin has left. He gets a cab. He's going to Duke's because, you know, they've kind of shown him up. And he has that that wonderful kind of anecdote about their mom, how she had too much damn class to ever kind of, you know, shit on essentially a perfectly fine establishment. It's typical Martin. He's so brilliant at just giving these little speeches at the end of the episode where he points out everything that Frazier and and sometimes Niles are doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. He's he's so kind of observant, socially aware compared to the other two. They're very intelligent, but socially unintelligent. And there's there's an episode where he does something similar and Niles quips, you know, once again, your homespun wisdom pricks the balloon of Fraser's pomposity or something. Yeah. It's Which just a fantastic it phrase because it makes Niles sound like an ass, but it is that. It's that homespun wisdom that he that he readily passes on. Yeah, their response is my favourite quote of the episode, which is... Okay, hit me with it. Dad, wait! The mud pie is coming! <laughs> The mud pie is coming. I've never had a mud pie. Have you had a mud pie before? No, I've never had a mud pie. But I love that, that for Niles, that's the incentive to stay. <laughs> yeah, kind of luring him back with more extremely unhealthy treats, as if he hasn't had enough with the fixings on his, uh, on his steak. Um, we, should, we should definitely toe. eat a mud pie, I think. I think we should. We, I'm going to eat the steak and the beans in the can that you've, that you've recommended to me, but we should oh. have a mud pie, I think. Well, I'll do. I'll have a rare steak and a mud pie. That sounds really good. We should try and find the closest equivalent in the UK to the timber mill, and we should go there and you know possibly record some audio at the table. And can then, you imagine? Uh, We're doing it on location. We could, yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, we just don't don't worry. We're just recording a podcast about Fraser. That would be the nichest thing this restaurant would ever have seen. But I yeah, feel we'd we be kind of have the Fraser and Niles. We'd be judged for that. I think we would be judged for that. But Fraser and Niles persevere and they eat and they eat their they eat their meal, you know, to, to kind of a respective respectable amount. Can you remember how many people, how many staff members are watching them? This isn't a question I've written down. I think that's what I'd throw it at you. Is there two? I want to say there is two. two. Main... There is two. One of the kind of maitre d's, or I think the one that clips the ties off, is there. But yeah, the a, kind of a nice, a nice end of the episode that they're they're kind of tasting their own medicine. Yeah, it's nice so it's as kind well. Of a they, nice way to wrap things up. They appreciate that they've been a bit snobby. Yeah, they do, and they don't. A lot of the episodes focus on their snobbery and then them coming to some kind of epiphany about it. But yeah. um, it's not always immediately apparent that they've learned from their mistakes. But I think in this this moment they do. And I love the way that Niall says fixins. Amber, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's where I'm getting fixings from, that, yeah. kind of that phrase. But yeah, other, other than that, we have the conclusion to Dinner at Eight. But next week, we will be looking at Season 1, Episode 4, I Hate Fraser Crane. A great episode. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, me too. And just before we sign off on this week's, yep. uh, we've just got a couple of things to do before before we sign off. So one, the title. I think the title was mentioned in this episode. Was it a line? Dinner at eight. I feel that uh, it would have been a lot. It is a. It's a what, what they call the the on one of the title cards when they kind of enter Fraser's apartment and Fraser's kind of all dressed dressed up. Daphne's about to go out for the poker poker game. So I think it's I think it's a it's a uh, what what you call it. 
yeah, title card. Because also the other thing as well that I've only just realised because I've got the, the script in front of me. I think this is the first reference to uh, to Dukes. I think it is actually. Yeah, that's a good point. He says I'm off to Dukes. It's, it's really kind of not not much is done about that. Yeah, it's just it's just a name drop. But obviously Dukes becomes really important in later episodes. So it's nice that that's established early yeah, on. Nice little moment. But other than that, okay, I'll, I'll ask you because you you usually ask me. Mm-hmm. Is this in your top ten? This episode is not in my top 10 however it's a very good episode and i would give it a solid eight out of 10 see what i did there (laughs) oh dear god so next week we will be looking at season one episode four uh, i hate fraser crane a really good episode where fraser uh meets his match in kind of mental and physical attributes some conflict arises therein so we will look forward to that but other than that i've been will i've been key and thank you very much for listening to we're listening Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy And maybe I seem a bit confused Well, maybe But I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs